This is the Rocky Mountain Review Podcast. I am your co-host, Gabe Peterson. And I'm your other co-host, Julia Batalise. This is the Rocky Mountain Review, the live news show that airs 4 to 5, Tuesday and Thursday, on KCSU that has turned into a podcast. And this is what you missed this week. Today on the Rocky Mountain Review, we start with an interview with Ray Sumner. He is from the history department. He's a grad student there. And he is here to talk about the history harvest, which is coming up this weekend, um, and also about their exhibition on immigration in Fort Collins. After that, we're going to go to local news. To give a sneak peek about that, we're going to be talking about another bar in Fort Collins that may have lost its liquor license. After that, we are definitely going to be mentioning Larry Eustacey and if he might be getting fired later this week. Following local news, we'll be going into sports with Gabe Peterson um, taking the place of Bjorn Larson today. After that, we have a segment on Angela Davis, who came to CSU's campus. Our reporter, Alex Scott, got a few interviews with those attending the event. After that, we return with science news by the School of Global Environmental Sustainability, followed by national and global news. After another break, we finish off with a Rocky Mountain music segment done by myself, Julia Batalise, on Jeff Rosenstock. And of course, we finish with everyone's favorite segment, weather. And without further ado, we're going to get into this interview with Ray Sumner from the History Department so he can tell us what their exhibition is going to look like. Uh, and so what we've arranged to do through our uh, Dr. Kovan, the course instructor, uh, we're working with the Global Village Museum in downtown Fort Collins mm-hmm. uh, to sponsor an exhibit uh, on immigration in their museum in April. It'll open on the 6th and run through the 28th of April. And in that exhibit, we're going to look at the different phases of immigration here to Fort Collins, uh, starting with the primarily the settlers that came from uh, the United States when it wasn't even yet a territory, uh, Going into uh, the main phases that most people are familiar with, uh, the immigration of the Germans from Russia uh, and the Hispanic community to Fort Collins is tied to the sugar beet industry in Fort Collins, but also looking out at the uh, other smaller communities, uh, the Japanese, uh, uh, Korean, uh, some Norwegian, Scandinavian immigration phases uh, to touch more of the groups. And we plan to do that through reaching out to the communities to bring information, to bring us stories uh, so that we're reflecting what the community has an interest in and so that they're a part of the museum experience and not only viewing it, but designing the exhibits themselves. That's really cool. How has that been going so far? Have you gotten a lot of, uh, like a lot of, um, I think because you're supposed to have like specific, um, what is it called? Specific objects. Is that right? Yeah. And so what we're doing for that is uh, the first phase is actually this Saturday at the Council Tree Library from uh 9:30 to noon we're holding what's called a, we're calling it a history harvest and so we'll present the uh idea and the concepts that we're we're starting to work with for the museum exhibit to the public get their feedback on them also solicit from them their stories that their families may have their their ancestors their friends uh we've asked them to bring photographs which we'll scan to possibly use in the exhibit and also to bring objects that we'll photograph uh take pictures of and as we design the object uh, the exhibit then we'll go back to those individuals that want to participate participate and uh, include the objects in the exhibit themselves at the museum. And we're also reaching out uh, on that same thing. We'll have additional harvests in the next month uh, to work with the communities further to, to refine the exhibit. Uh, and then we're also working on uh, community outreach. Uh, last night we had a couple students go to a community meeting in Alta Vista neighborhood hood to discuss with them their heritage of the, the very special neighborhood here in the Fort Collins area. That's cool. How many people are working on this, would you uh, say? There are 10 students involved in the project, mm-hmm. uh, and then uh, Dr. Kovan. Uh, and then we're working with a number of community groups, again, the two largest 
uh, the Hispanic community organizations, mm. and there are a number of German from Russia organizations. Uh, we're also working with all, a number of the local museums uh, from here in Fort Collins, and also re- even reaching out to the extended communities, getting advice from Greeley, Loveland, mm. uh, as their immigration patterns also reflect the, the larger northern Colorado pattern of immigration. That's super cool. Is, um, this a, is this a first-time project, or is this something you guys do annually? Uh, this is the first time uh, that we're doing this project. Uh, uh, Dr. Kovan, this is his uh, first semester here at Fort Collins, or first year, excuse me, at Fort Collins in CSU, and his first time he taught the course. Uh, I think you'll see more programs like this in the future. Uh, the public history uh, de- uh, department within the uh, history department has been, uh, last couple of years, reaching out to find projects like this to help the students uh develop real world skills and not just the textual uh textbook knowledge that you need so when you go out to a museum to a historic preservation job uh post-graduation that you can show that you actually know what they need you to do on day one Hmm. i was also wondering um because you said you were going to be drawing from a bunch of different cultures are you going to have like specific exhibits for a specific culture or anything like that uh we're still working the design phase uh and so uh It'll be somewhat thematic, and that's kind of we're getting the feedback from the communities to see what they think will work mm. best. Uh, you usually see one of two options, either chron- chronological progression of that or a thematic uh, Germans from Russia, Hispanic, or food uh, or the means of travel that they came here to tie those together. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we're seeking their feedback on that. I think you'll see kind of a mixed combination of the mm-hmm. two. Uh, we're also uh, working to reach out to the larger uh, beyond the museum and include some digital uh, history products in that. Uh, very active on social media, but also looking at possibly developing an app that will incorporate the photographs so we can get a larger amount of that material captured and that the public can engage with it, and also not just when they're at the museum. Yeah. And so when the exhibit closed, the good side of the digital aspect is the apps, the websites, those will still remain. So people still engage with the topic long past the 28th of April when the exhibit closes. That's really cool. Um, so are there like, an, is there an overlying goal for this project or maybe like a goal that you have specifically for this project? Uh, the overlying goal uh, in terms of the, the students is learning the complexities of putting on a museum exhibit, mm. uh, especially in the compressed time period as we're learning uh, four months or less to put an exhibit together is a very accelerated time. Uh, when you hear most museums, they talk about doing it in 12 to 18 months of planning oh, yeah. uh, to, to put that together. Uh, so th- learning the skills from the student's perspective is a, a very important uh, to us, obviously preparing for our, our future careers, uh, but also uh, working with the outreach to the communities, getting the different groups. Obviously, immigration is a very hot topic. Uh, and so uh, looking at those topics, looking at different activities that we can partner with, possibly with the Human Rights Film Festival that CSU puts on every year, other panel discussions uh, and community discussions to deal, uh, reach into the modern immigration debate uh, and then have the footing in the museum of the historical piece to uh, further that conversation and remind everybody that kind of as the end of the tagline goes, Fort Collins is, is one city. We're all here together mm-hmm. uh, and bringing people together and remembering how we came together as a community so we can go forward in that way in the future as well. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, any other questions? Um, so we w- just want to mention again that event is happening this Saturday, correct? And it, where was the – it was at a library, correct? Yeah, it's at the Council <laughs> Tree Library, which is the uh, southwest uh, – 
southeast side of town off of Harmony near the uh, Super Target uh, right above Panera gotcha. Bread. Yeah, if you want to get involved in this event, make sure to check that out. Um, but uh, that, thank you so much, Ray, for coming on. Um, that's going to be the end of this interview, but we'll be coming back in just a second with local news as well as sports. So stay tuned. You're listening to the Rocky Mountain Review only here on 90.5 KCSU Fort Collins. Hey, everyone. I'm Nick Baker. And I'm Brian Buck. Join the conversation Fridays from 7 to 9 on Ramblers. The cornerstone of CSU Sports Talk Radio. Only on 90.5 KCSU Fort Collins. And welcome back to the Rocky Mountain Review here on 90.5 KCSU Fort Collins. I am Gabe Peterson, one of two hosts here at the show. I'm joined with Julia Battelise, my other co-host. That is me. That is you. And we have Raven Color, our titleist reporter. But she's amazing. <laughs> she's there. And she is here. How are you doing, Raven? Oh, I'm pretty good. good. So <laughs> I just gonna... realized you're at like the farthest away mic, though. So we're like, <laughs> yeah. how are you doing over there? <laughs> Didn't realize. Um, anyway, yeah, we're going to go straight into local news. Um, it was announced this week that the city of Fort Collins will not be funding lockers for the homeless at the Mennonite Church. This issue doesn't seem to be coming to a rest, though. Councilmember Ross Kuniff said he would be ca- continuing to push for lockers, as well as Pastor Steve Raymer also said the Mennonite Church began receiving donations for the lockers, even though they are they were not asked for they uh, they were not asking for them. Uh, Nick Coltrane from the Colorado Women reports the council has rejected a little over. Uh, has- has rejected a little over a ten thousand proposal, ten thousand dollar proposal for twenty lockers that would be accessible from the library park. Raymer believes that even though there hasn't been support from city council, there may be support from the Fort Collins community. The reasoning for wanting to add the lockers in for the homeless is that they don't have to continue to lug all of their possessions around, which can, quote, add to the stigma of their situation, making it more difficult to obtain work, also reports Coltrane. It was reported that the city council empathized with the homeless, but the votes did not reflect that, with only one council member, Kristen uh, St- Stevens, voting in favor for the lockers. Criticisms for the proposal seem to focus around the concern for more activity in the neighborhood, which many residents recounted experiences where they were harassed by the homeless. Police Chief Kevin Cronin cited, quote, five homicides committed by homeless slash transient people. And he added he wants to take steps to make Fort Collins, quote, less attractive to this um, to this criminal element where uh, where possible. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah, I I thought it was a little ridiculous to it was, I mean, it only seemed like 20 lockers. I was surprised that it was, um, you know, rejected. But yeah. um, I guess they had the reasoning. So. Anyway, I'm going to send it over to Gabe to talk about a former EPA head that may be coming to CSU. Yeah, thank you, Julia. Uh, Gina McCarthy, former head of the EPA, will be hosting a speech at CSU regarding sustainability, world health, and climate change. McCarthy will speak in the Laurie Student Center Ballroom on February 28th at 6 p.m. McCarthy served as the head of the EPA during the Obama administration from 2013 to 2017 and helped develop the Climate Action Plan, sign the Clean Power Plan, and spurred international efforts to secure the Paris Climate Agreement, according to the Loveland Reporter Herald. The Loveland Herald also reports that McCarthy is appearing as part of the CSU Office of International Programs Global Engagement Lecture Series. The talk is free and open to the public, but tickets are required. Register online at csutix.com, and for more information, visit the Office of International Programs website at international.colostate.edu. 
Moving on to local news, we have another suspension for liquor licenses. The Boot Bar and Grill will be closed for five days after violating its liquor license. The restaurant bar on 130 Southwest Laurel will begin the liquor license suspension February 14th until the 18th. After police suspected the boot served a minor on the night of December 29th. Boot Bar and Grill took responsibility and accepted the five-day suspension, and Fort Collins has seen several liquor license suspensions in the past year. It's been a lot. It's been a lot. I feel like I'm. I, every time I look up the news, I'm like, really? Again? Yeah. <laughs> every time. But anyways, moving, oh, moving on. To sorry. our uh, last local story, we got a CSU is planning on firing Larry Eustacey after abusive behavior toward players and staff on the men's basketball team. Came to light reports Matt Stevens of the Denver Post, who spoke to an inside source from the University. University. Larry Eustacey was given a zero-tolerance policy in 2014, which was due to similar inappropriate behavior, uh, acting as a warning to Eustacey. He said in 2014 that his actions, quote, crossed the line, and those, uh, and, uh, and those same actions here in 2018 wouldn't be tolerated any longer by CSU. Eustacey is also the same coach that in 20, 2003 lost his job at Iowa State after pictures were released of him partying and kissing co-eds. Eustacey was originally on a paid leave of absence since last week as the investigation was ongoing. Many sources from the team, who asked to remain anonymous, said that Coach Eustacey would single out players, even shouting profanity at them during practice or in the locker room. Eustacey reported, reportedly told his staff players that President Tony Frank assured him his job was still secured, though Frank's office asserted otherwise. Stevens also reports that the investigation was on hold until CSU could set up a meeting with Eustacey and his attorney, which should be happening tomorrow with his, with his termination expected a few days later. And uh, that's going to be the end of local news. But we have uh, Gabe Peterson stepping in today for Bjorn Larson sports. for uh, sports. sports. So from that sports news on to more sports news. Yes. Well, thank you very much, Julia. The Colorado State softball team opens their season this weekend when they travel to Texas to take part in the Texas Classic Tournament. They play four games over the course of two days. Teams that CSU will face include Wisconsin, Incarnate Ward University, and Texas. The Rams are a young team this year, boasting five freshmen and three transfers in their starting lineup. Replacements and lineup changes should be the norm this year as the team has more speed and power this year that extends throughout the roster. CSU was dead last in batting average for the Mountain West last season and ranked in the middle of the pack in stolen bases. The Rams still managed to keep an acceptable overall record on decent pitching and strong fielding. They look to improve on those stats and as a team overall in 2018. After finishing the season in tremendous style by going 6-0 in their last six competitions, Colorado State Swimming and Diving now turns its sights to the Mountain West Tournament in San Antonio, Texas. Head coach Chris Woodard had good things to say about his team's chances, saying, quote, Heading into conference on a six-game six winning streak, not six-game, six-win streak, <laughs> certainly helps our girls' confidence. I think that is pretty key because as much as our sport is training and racing, there is a mental component to it as well and I feel pretty confident that they will accomplish some big things. CSU will compete in the Mountain West Tournament on February 14th and go till the 17th. If they win, the Rams will continue on to the NCAA Tournament, which will take place March 14th through the 17th in Columbus, Ohio. Moving on to women's basketball. A busy night for the bench of the Colorado State's women's basketball team helped bury the Air Force Falcons by a score of 61-50, to extending the Rams' win streak to 5. Uh, 28, to zero, 28 points on our bench, CSU head coach Ryan Williams said. That's impressive. I'm really proud of our bench. 
With this team win, Coach Ryan Williams has reached 130 wins with the program, which is an all-school record. The Rams' next game will take them west as they challenge San Jose State on Saturday. Finally, moving on to football. Signing day took place yesterday for the Colorado State football team, and it did not disappoint. The team secured one of their best recruiting classes in recent memory. Having lost many contributors on a unit that ranked 8th in total defense in the Mountain West in 2017, the Rams' emphasis of the 2018 class came on the defensive side. 15 of the current 23-man recruiting classes are defensive players. One of the Rams' biggest signings was a four-star recruit, six-foot-two, 300-pound lineman named Devin Phillips. Coach Mike Bobo had this to say about the class: "Signing day is always a pretty special day." Oh, lost oh. the second page. Yeah, it's a, it is always a very special day. <laughs> it's always a special day. Yeah. Well, I'm, that's what Mike that's Bobo sports. had to say. Yeah, it's a special day. Good job. Um, good job. Was that to you? <laughs> yeah, no, I You're like, know. good job. I did it. I'm flustered. I did Couldn't it. find it. Couldn't find it. Um, but yeah, anyway. that's, that's going to be the end of local and sports. Um, we'll be going on a really quick break here, but we'll be coming, coming back with a story on Angela Davis. She was here, um, just the other day. Um, yeah, stay tuned. We'll be right back here on the Rocky Mountain Review, uh, only on 90.5 KCSU Fort Collins. Absolute Vapor Lounge in Fort Collins specializes in vape accessories, including e-liquids, batteries, and more. Located on South College Avenue near the Foothills Mall, Absolute Vapor Lounge provides Wi-Fi access, tables, and seating suitable for both your studying and lounging needs. KCSU thanks Absolute Vapor Lounge for their underwriting support. Welcome back to the Rocky Mountain Review. I am Gabe Peterson, one of two co-hosts here. I'm joined in studio with Julia Batalise. Hello. And Raven Color. That's me. Very nice. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> but um, this next segment, uh, Alex Scott, our promotions director, went to the Angela Davis speech that happened on Tuesday. Yeah. Um, kind of got an interview with a collegiate reporter, Nate Day, and um, with his exclusive interview with her. It's not yeah. really with her, but he did a pretty nice job just kind of going to yeah. the event and covering the event. Yeah. Angela Davis is not a fan of... Uh, recording, um, which is fair. Um, so uh, if you haven't heard of Angela Davis, she is uh, she used to be part of the Black Panther Party, and she's a political activist. Um, and she came on campus the other day. So uh, without further ado, we're going to get straight into the segment. On Wednesday, February 6th, civil rights legend Angela Davis gave the keynote speech for CSU's Observance of Black History Month. This event was created with the BACC, the Black African American Cultural Center, the NACC, the Native American Cultural Center, and the International Program. Rocky Mountain Student Media was granted an incredibly rare in-person interview with Angela Davis. At her request, we did not record any audio or video of this interview. What follows is an interview with attendees waiting to hear her speak and an interview with Nate Day. The collegian reporter who interviewed um, Angela Davis. Through the back Thank office, so which is the Black African American Cultural Center, and they've been posting a lot of like flyers and stuff. So yeah, that's how I heard about it. I also learned about it the same way through the back office. Excellent, excellent. Getting involved. What are you guys expecting to hear, or to uh, what knowledge are you expecting to gain from this talk? Um, I just love Angela Davis. Um, I'm kind of just really excited to see her in person. I've learned so much about her through school, and just to be able to see her in person and hear 
what she believes in from her, um, from her mouth, is going to be amazing. Yeah, and I, I'm really interested to see how her experience with civil rights and stuff has kind of changed and characterized over the past years and what she's seen she's gained through the civil rights movement and what hasn't, like in different ways, what ways do we need to improve on and stuff. So that's what I'm really interested in hearing about. So I assume you guys know quite a bit about Angela Davis going into this. Do you want to talk about that at all a little bit? Yeah, she was sort of an icon and like she was really iconic in the civil rights movement and the Black Panther movement and she I think she did a lot to push the movement and kind of gave it a different face as opposed to the way that a lot of society viewed it and a lot of white America viewed um, the movement. So I think she she embodied a lot of characteristics that we like to see with the black movement, which is strength. She's a woman, so, so that was something that was really iconic. Um, yeah, she's just done a lot, and her afro was amazing. I've heard that from about five different people. <laughs> Same for me, too. <laughs> just take the words out of my mouth, yeah. Actually, would you guys like to say your names? Kaylee. <laughs> Thank you very much. My name is Nate Day. I'm in my last semester here at CSU, graduating in May. Journalism and media communications major. I'm a reporter for the Collegian, generally the arts and culture desk, but mm-hmm. I do stuff for the news desk as well. And I host local beats on CTV as well. Excellent. Some uh, some music crossover there. Yeah, absolutely. For our college radio station. We try to be yeah. as cool as we can. Yeah, of course. <laughs> Why not? So how'd you, how did you get assigned this interview. So it's kind of funny. Working at the Arts and Culture Desk, it was our job to cover the event. And within the Arts and Culture Desk, I picked that up and I have kind of become known for being the guy that reaches out and asks, you know, Mm -hmm. can I get an interview with Angela Davis? Can I get an interview with Temple Grandin? Just because the worst they can say is no. And evidently it worked out this time. (laughs) And I got to talk to Angela Davis after the event. Very, very impressive. I totally respect that idea of the worst yeah. thing they can say is no. Yeah, uh, you just got to go for it. You know? I think that's something that most, not maybe not most people, but most reporters should uh, operate under. Absolutely, yeah. So what were you expecting when you went into the both the speech and the interview? I don't know what I was expecting, honestly. I was so nervous. I, I think it was, as far as the event, I was the event was basically what I expected. Mm-hmm. She gave a fantastic speech, very eloquent and well-spoken. And I was nervous to speak with her because she doesn't speak to reporters very often. Mm-hmm, um, she mm-hmm. wouldn't let us do video or audio recording. So I figured that the the one-on-one interview was going to be really intense and that kind of adversarial. Know, yeah, exactly. Which wasn't the case at all. She mm-hmm, was um, I think most of the her discomfort with being recorded comes from a general discomfort with the media. It, you know, it seemed mm-hmm. to me like she mm-hmm. had kind of toned it down a lot between the time that she gave the speech and the time that I sat down to speak with her. So that was for sure different than what I was expecting. She was mm-hmm. not scary or intense or intimidating or anything. Mm-hmm. Would you say that she has like a stage persona and then like her own personal actual persona? I think she does, but in less of a performer type of mm-hmm. way, you know, like I, I understand when politicians do that, right? With Angela Davis, I think she recognizes that she's on this platform that is the stage in front of 850 people and she has to get her message out Mm -hmm. as opposed to when she sat down with, with us and it was her and three journalists in the room and that was it. Mm -hmm. You know, she could still share her thoughts, but she didn't have to be this grandiose. Mm -hmm. um, Inspiring type person. Yeah, Yeah. absolutely. Did you know anything about Angela Davis before, beforehand? Yeah. I'd actually watched the documentary 13th 
on Netflix. And it was funny. That was my first time ever being exposed to her. And at the time, I was working with RAM events pretty closely mm-hmm. as a volunteer. And I remember writing down her name so that I could <laughs> look into bringing her to campus. And that, you know, obviously never happened on my end. And then when I saw that she was coming, I was like, oh, that's funny. I should really look more into her. And as I read about it and realized the Mm -hmm. impact that she had on the civil rights movement, it just became more and more clear to me that this is a really, really big deal that she Mm -hmm. came to campus. Mm -hmm. I would agree. Uh, It's not often that you get any surviving Black Panther activists, let alone leaders. Absolutely. Yeah. It was just it was just insane that we had her on campus. How did you how did you go about preparing for the interview, both in questions and mentally, that sort of thing? So this is, it's kind of an interesting point because every journalist has their own way of preparing for mm-hmm. these interviews. And I don't like to go in with specific questions beforehand because I feel like that makes the conversation too chunky and it doesn't flow very mm-hmm. well. And obviously I knew that I wanted to talk to her about Black History Month, um, speaking on college campuses, and the recent racist and anti-Semitic hate crimes essentially that took place on campus last semester, but it kind of, the conversation just kind of has to flow. Um, so I, I read through like her pages on Wikipedia and biography.com just to refresh my memory, rewatched some clips from 13th on Netflix and, uh, kind of just went in, you know, waiting to see what she had to say in the speech before Mm -hmm. I knew what exactly I was going to ask her. What surprised you? about either the speech or Angela Davis herself or uh, the answer she gave, that sort of thing? I think, I don't know that there was so much that was surprising to me besides the fact that she followed Charlie Kirk last week, Mm -hmm. um, which I think makes for a really good balance in in perspectives. Mm -hmm. He's um, extremely conservative. She is extremely not. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, throughout the, the speech especially, I remember thinking, how grateful I was that she was there to share her opinion mm-hmm. at, at the very least in an effort to balance what Charlie Kirk shared last week. Did you, did you go to Charlie Kirk's? Talk? I did not. I was actually not in town that day and I was a little freaked out by the whole issue in Charlottesville this past mm-hmm. summer. So I decided to kind of steer clear of Charlie Kirk's thing. That's understandable. What do you what do you want to talk about? What do you do you have anything that you really stood out to you about the uh, conversation or something that you really feel like should be highlighted? Yeah, one of the things that one of my favorite things that she said in the personal interview, I asked her I said, "How what do you recommend for students that want to be activists but don't necessarily have the time or the resources uh, mm-hmm. to do so?" And she in a much more eloquent way told me that that's not an excuse and that students that are truly dedicated need to find a way to balance their time so that they can participate in activism because it's our civic duty. Mm -hmm. And then she even pointed out that she always did better in school when she was participating in activism because she was motivated to get her schoolwork done, you know, enough to get a good grade so Mm -hmm. that she could participate in these rallies and protests and speeches and events like that. Mm Mm-hmm. All right. Well, any, anything else? I think um, I think that just about covers it. Thank right. you so much for having me on. Of course. Thanks for coming on, uh, Nate Day from The Collegian. That's me, Nate Day, Collegian. If you feel so inclined, the article can be found on collegian.com, and you can feel free to email me with any questions or responses at entertainment at collegian.com or on Twitter at Nate M. Day. Excellent. Thank you very much. Sweet. Thank you so much.
Well, great job, Alex Scott. Yeah. Great day. Thank yeah. you very much. Uh, we're going to take a quick break here on the Rocky Mountain Review. When we come back, we are going to play the School of Global Environmental Sustainability podcast this week. Uh, so if you want to hear that, make sure you stay tuned. Yeah. And then we got a national national and global news coming um, on right after that. And we still have the music segment and the weed segment and weather. And weather. So stay tuned. You're listening <laughs> to the Rocky Mountain Review only here on 90.5 KCSU Fort Collins. Foster on the Sustainable Digest. In the foothills of the Rockies, many of us love our forests for adventures. Now, researchers have discovered a new reason to love forests. They keep our planet cool. Have you ever walked through a tropical forest? You feel the weight of the humid air on your skin, and you can hear life buzzing all around you. The cacophony of colorful birds, the howling monkeys, perhaps the slow creep of an anteater or a slithering snake underfoot. Or maybe you are more familiar with the mountain forests of Colorado. High in the wintry, wind-swept alpine, you stand atop a pile of granite and look out over a lodgepole pine forest. Perhaps a lone raven soars above and a coyote stands alone on the ice-covered river below. Yes, forests are incredible ecosystems. They cover about 30% of the globe, provide habitat for tons of wildlife, protect soils and waterways, and even, in a way, protect our climate. Forests take in carbon dioxide from the atmosphere for photosynthesis and store it as carbon in their leaves, branches, and trunk biomass. Trees will even leak out carbon into soils for longer-term storage. Forests act as storehouses, so much so that in countries which, with much of their forests left intact, Forests capture enough carbon to offset human emissions and achieve climate neutrality. For an extreme example, the small country of Bhutan is actually carbon negative due to their preservation of forests. Pristine forests now cover about 70% of Bhutan, which is an area about one-seventh the size of Colorado. Like Bhutan, many small developing nations have been hard hit by climate change, despite their small contributions to the problem. Especially hard hit are tropical areas, such as the Amazon rainforest, where development of ranches and farms has destroyed 20% of the original forest. We all know that deforestation is an issue, so I won't belabor the point. Removing trees from the landscape destroys habitat and erodes soils into our waterways. If you've ever seen a clear cut, you might agree that the bare land just looks absolutely desolate. We all know why forests are important to our planet, how we rely on them for products, and perhaps how they are important to us on a personal level too. And just last month, scientists discovered another reason why forests are so cool. We already know that forests are good for climate as they use CO2 from the atmosphere and store carbon, but it turns out that forests release gases that contribute to net climate cooling in the atmosphere. 
a research team based out of the University of Leeds in the UK, implemented computer models to estimate the warming and cooling effect of forests on the planet, measured via radiative forcing, the difference between the radiative energy entering and exiting our climate system at the top of the atmosphere. This team of scientists included the lead author, Dr. Catherine Scott, and a National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration researcher from Boulder, Colorado, Dr. Sarah Ann Monks. The researchers combined several models to look at the impact of forests on the atmosphere, specifically the gases released by the trees called biogenic volatile organic compounds. Depending on the atmospheric mix, these gas compounds can create particles that actually reflect solar radiation and can even act as the seeds for cloud formation that will deflect solar radiation outwards. The gas compounds can also interact to decrease the impact of methane and ozone on the atmosphere by changing the oxidative status of the troposphere. The bottom line, trees are keeping the planet cool. Another research team led by Dr. Bronson Griscom found that reforestation, restoration, and other management can provide about 37% of the carbon dioxide mitigation needed to keep warming under 2 degrees Celsius and maintain better climate conditions. The science, however, is complex, and generally the highest impact comes through protecting tropical forests more than high-latitude forests. So why aren't high-latitude forests that important? Well, in this case, it's because the snowpack at these latitudes will often reflect more radiation than the forest, helping cooling. So these idealized experiments have revealed that there is much research still to be done, but we now know that forests have an even more substantial climate cooling impact. So what does this really mean? It bolsters the argument for protecting and restoring forests, which was a large component of the International Paris Climate Agreement signed in 2016. So what does this mean exactly for you? Well, perhaps you could consider helping the cause by donating to reforestation programs. The United Nations actually has a program, Red Plus, that stands for Reducing Emissions from Deforestation and Forest Degradation, that helps to offset carbon emissions through reforestation. They work to improve governance to design and implement better management of forests, agricultural, and other sectors. These Red Plus improvements occur currently in 47 countries around the world. In addition, local action can also help to protect our climate. Local action might even include something as simple as planting trees in your own backyard. So whether you're thinking about contributing to reforestation, planting a tree in your own neighborhood, or enjoying the great outdoors in a high alpine or tropical forest, remember that those trees provide many services, from playground to clean water to climate change mitigation. Forests are just that cool. Here are next week's local sustainability events in Fort Collins. On Monday, February 12th, Michael Leanne Guerrero from the Labor Network for Sustainability will present Making a Living on the Planet, How to Connect the Labor Movement and the Environmental Movement for a Just, Sustainable Future. This lecture is from 5 to 6.30 at Avogadro's number. Next Tuesday, the 13th, we'll kick off the CSU Front Range Student Ecology Symposium open to the public. We'll start at the Lurie Student Center at 3 o'clock with the opening speaker, Dr. John Weens, who is a University of Arizona professor in ecology and evolutionary biology. Also check out the student talks and presentations all day on Wednesday and Thursday of next week. Look at the website for a schedule or find Front Range Student Ecology Symposium on Facebook. Thank you for listening to the weekly Sustainable Digest. Join us every Thursday after 4.30 p.m. on the Rocky Mountain Review, on Friday at 3 p.m. or online at kcsufm.com. 
This digest was written and produced by Erica Foster and brought to you by the School of Global Environmental Sustainability at Colorado State University, Fort Collins. Well, great job, Erica. Great job, School of Global Environmental <laughs> Sustainability. Always appreciate those podcasts. Uh, we are going to move right into uh, national and global news now, and yeah. I will actually send that over to Raven. Awesome. President Trump signed a bill Tuesday which would use federal interagency cooperation to set up an extreme vetting network. According to the USA Today's Gregory Court, the National Vetting Center will be run by the Department of Homeland Security with assistance from the Departments of State, Justice, and Defense. The purpose of the center will be to combine information on people seeking to immigrate to the United States in order to better protect homeland security and fulfill a promise from Trump's campaign to uh, implement an extreme vetting system. Homeland Security or Security Secretary uh, Kirsten Nielsen spoke in support of the order and noted that privacy and civil law will still be followed in the use of the data from the center. Critics are concerned that this order will simply perpetuate the Muslim ban, which Trump failed to enact earlier in his, his presidency. Uh, Fiza Patel, co-director of the Liberty and National Security Programs at uh, Brennan Center of Justice, said that she is skeptical that this center may just be an unnecessary measure to fulfill a campaign promise, citing the already rigorous vetting of those wanting to immigrate to America. The release of this order has also revealed that Trump has signed two secret orders before this one, being NSPM 6 and 7. All right, I'm going to go over to Julia. (laughs) (laughs) All right, well, a coalition led by the U.S. to fight ISIS conducted artillery and and airstrikes against forces that are pro-regime in Syria on Wednesday. Barbara Starr and Ryan Brown of CNN reports that according to a coalition statement, 100 pro-regime fighters were killed. The strikes occurred in eastern Syria, reports uh, Anne Bernard of the New York Times. It was an area where government troops, along with their allies, were competing with Syrian democratic forces led by the Kurdish in order to seize territory full of natural gas and oil. Star and Brown also report that the Syrian state news agency Sana described this uh, U.S. action as an aggression by this coalition against, quote, popular forces who were actually fighting ISIS, as well as the U.S.-backed Syrian Democratic Forces. Sana also said that this attack caused, quote, huge damage to the area and left, quote, scores of persons dead and others injured. Bernard reports that today the United States military's central command responded co- responded um, by commenting on why they were attacking by saying that, quote, Syrian pro-regime forces initiated an unprovoked attack against well-established Syrian democratic forces, and that, quote, in defense of coalition and partner forces, the coalition conducted forces. Liz Sly of the Washington Post reports that along with Syria, Russia also condemned the attacks. The Syrian government is now accusing the United States of aggression with the launch of the strike, and then it killed scores of people. That was written by one of our reporters, Joe Green. And uh, now I'm going to send it back over to Raven. All right. Not everything that happens in Las Vegas stays in Las Vegas. According to the, according to the Chicago Tribune, casino mogul Steve Wynn has stepped down as chairman and CEO of Wynn Resorts amid sexual misconduct allegations. The Las Vegas-based Wynn Resorts said in a statement that Wynn's resignation filed on Tuesday was effective immediately. 
It came less than two weeks after the Wall Street Journal reported that a number of women said Wynn harassed or assaulted them, and one of the cases immediately led to a $7.5 million settlement. These allegations have come at a bad time for Wynn, as his company has planned on embarking on massive construction projects in Las Vegas. First, there's a $1.6 billion Paradise Park Hotel, which includes 1,500 rooms, uh, then there's the new hotel that will be built on a vast 34-acre site just purchased in December. In short, Wynn Resorts has mi- uh, was making a big bet on Las Vegas comeback, but regulators are re- reviewing uh, these latest developments, which could have an impact on the company's license to operate. These allegations have taken a toll on the company's stock. Shares of the casino operator have gone down 20% since, since victims came forward. According to The Independent, Steve Wynn has also resigned as financial chair of the Republican uh, National Committee. Regarding the allegations, Wynn said that he, in the last couple of weeks, found himself the focus of an avalanche of negative publicity. Wynn also called the allegations to be a rush to judgment that has taken precedence over anything else, including the facts, saying that he could not continue to be effective in his current role. Uh, and that was written by Bjorn Larson. Yeah. And we're going to go over to Gabe. Yeah, thank you, Raven. Uh, that, on that, Tuesday. That last quote was, quote was ridiculous from him. <laughs> Which one? Um, I think it was something about um, how the allegations were getting in the way of facts. The facts. So, you know. Yeah. Anyway, over to you. Okay. <laughs> on Tuesday, SpaceX sent the most powerful rocket since the Saturn V from NASA's Apollo days into orbit just miles from Kennedy Space Center, reports Eric Mack of CNET. BBC reports that Falcon Heavy has become the most capable launch vehicle available, as well as the most powerful rocket available today. Elon Musk also decided to attach a Tesla Roadster and a mannequin wearing a spacesuit to the side of the rocket so he could display live stream coverage of the rocket launch until it reached orbit. Lauren Grush of The Verge reports that the car and its companion were supposed to be put on a path to the sun that would take the vehicle out of the distance of Mars, but the rocket was so powerful it overshot its trajectory and will extend way beyond Mars' gravitational pull. Tesla also claimed that the rocket would make its way into the asteroid belt past Mars, but according to The Verge, it will not. The launch is being called historic as it proves man-made machines can travel past Mars and gives companies interested in deep space research Hope that we can travel beyond our own planet one day, reports Grush. And that is a cool story. That's how you know he's rich. He's like, I put my car on a spaceship I built and then just and sent like, it off into space. And like the dashboard. <laughs> I don't know if anybody's ever been into Tesla, but it's got that big screen dashboard. It just says, don't panic. I thought that was pretty funny. Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. But anyways, <laughs> yeah. All cool right. Story. Well, we will be coming back here in just a second with um, our music, our Rocky Mountain music segment. Um uh, it's done by myself, and I'm very proud of it. Well, decently proud of it. Uh, <laughs> it's going to be on Jeff Rosenstock. So um, stay tuned. We will be right back in just a second. You're listening to the Rocky Mountain Review, only here on 90.5 at KCSU Fort Collins. A single ember from a wildfire can travel over a mile. You can't control where it lands, only what happens before it does. Simple steps to adapt to wildfire helps keep this from turning into this. Your home is better protected from wildfire when your whole community is prepared. Visit fireadapted.org for tips to get started today. A public service message brought to you by the U.S. Forest Service and the Ad Council. 
And welcome back to the Rocky Mountain Review here on 90.5 KCSU Fort Collins. Uh, I'm joined in the studio with Julie Battalise. That's me. And Raven Color. Hello. And we are actually going to play Julia's music segment for this week. Yes. So everybody sit back, relax. Enjoy. And enjoy. Jeff Rosenstock came out with his newest album, Post, on January 1st. Jeff Rosenstock, if you haven't heard of him, has a lot of ska and punk influences, mostly due to the other bands he was in early on, one that I have become more familiar with, called Bomb the Music Industry. Jeff Rosenstock started making music outside of those bands back in 2012, and his newest release of Post has followed similar patterns from his past few albums. He often focuses on political issues, as well as the effects of having anxiety. While his last album, Worry, talked about those anxieties more, this album, judging by its title, seemed to focus on the post-election atmosphere here in America. One of the main instances where he exhibits his disdain for the current political climate is the song Your Throat. Jeff explained in an interview his struggle with seeing police brutality and shootings and not seeing any repercussions for those officers that get away with murder. Though it is seemingly hidden behind the upbeat vocals and melody, there is a frustration evident that you can find in almost every Jeff Rosenstock song. Another song that shows a similar frustration would be in the song USA. This was one of my favorite songs in the album almost instantly because it highlights the apathetic state of those in America now. He hints a lot to the Trump administration, and what stands out to me is the line repeated a lot in USA, which is tired and bored, showing how when there seems to be a constant flow of atrocities, it can leave us feeling just that, tired and bored. To finish the album, Jeff Rosenstock left on an empowering note with the song Let Them Win, where he prompts his listeners to take action. This is the final allusion to the Trump administration, giving a hopeful look on the future with powerful lyrics, letting his listeners know that even when it seems people are only empathizing with themselves, their selfishness won't get in the way of fighting for what is right. Jeff Rosenstock's album, Post, is now in our rotation, and you can continue to listen to his music here on 90.5 KCSU Fort Collins. For the Rocky Mountain Review, I'm Julia Badalise. Well, Julia, applause. Thank you. That was very well I like done. how you couldn't actually applaud for me. You just said applause. Well, I mean, <laughs> like you couldn't. You were know. like, you're like, it's worth applause, but I'm not gonna do it. <laughs> well, that was um, very well done. I might have to listen to some Jeff Rosenstock. Never fun heard fact him about him: um, he actually puts like all of his music on Bandcamp, and it's like pay what you want. 
So literally that entire album you could get for no money at all, which is funny because for um, to get all of the music as like the beds under that, I just went online and kept downloading them because I had to keep going to different computers because I was having problems. <laughs> so I just downloaded his album like five times. Oh, very nice. Well, good job. <laughs> you sound like a proud dad. <laughs> I am. I am. All right. Well, I think we're moving on to weather. Is that correct? Yeah. Yeah, we definitely are. It's towards the end of the show. Did you, did you get it ready? Or oh, you... I, I have it pulled up. Okay, good. Right here. All right. All right. Weather.com. Let's hear it, meteorologist. <laughs> All right. Well, right now it's 55 degrees. Feels like 52. So, like, I don't know. I don't know what that's supposed to mean. But uh, <laughs> uh, there's a little bit of wind right now. And moving on to tomorrow. Oh, wow. High of 38 tomorrow is what it's looking like. Mm-hmm. So that's um, it's not looking good. 20% chance of precipitation. So it could be a cold weekend, as it says here. Friday night, Saturday, all day, snow. All day, every day. All day, every day, snow. Ugh. I don't want any more snow. I hope it's just a real snow. Like, not this, like, two inches. That's lame. (laughs) Um, Anyway, we're going to be finishing up here on the Rocky Mountain Review. Um, Yeah, thanks to our reporters. We had um, some... For the ones who didn't come on today, Bjorn, uh, Bjorn Larson and Joe Green, um, as well as Raven Color. Thank you so much for coming on. We will get you a real title, I swear. Fantastic. One we'll, of these we'll schedule yeah. it. Maybe we'll figure it out tomorrow when I see you. Um, yeah. And uh, thank you, Ray Sumner, for coming on. Um, thank you to um, the School of Global Environmental Sustainability for always making some wonderful podcasts for us. Yep, yep. Um, and um yeah, thank you, Gabe. Yeah. Thank you to myself, Julia. Uh, <laughs> we will be uh, back on Tuesday from 4 to 5. Every Tuesday, Thursday, 4 to 5 p.m. You can find the Rocky Mountain Review here on 90.5 KCSU Fort Collins. Uh, yeah, have a good day.